3, Genesis chapter 3, back um, two weeks ago, we began a new series, and that is focusing on the Christ, looking to, to Jesus Christ, the author and finish of our faith, and we're told in the Word of God that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. And so, in that, um, as we came through the Christmas season, we looked at the, the perfect gift and how Christ being the manifestation of God on the earth, is that perfect gift, that God gave us many perfect gifts through His grace and, and peace and eternal life, but that the ultimate of those gifts is Himself. And that we would then want to look at that gift, if you would, the giving of that gift, um, from the perspective of, of history. And that God had given indicators throughout history, throughout time, um, that he was going to come, that he was going to do this for us. And so we want to, to look at that. And then in the initial stages, the shadow of Christ, and that is the Old Testament and, and looking at that. And then as we get there, we're going to then look at the ministry of Christ, the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. And then we're going to look at the return of Christ and the reflection of Christ as well as we go on. But we're going to, we want to spend 22 weeks um, or so, Lord willing, Looking at the shadow of Christ, the, the indicators, the portents, the, 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 the foretaste, if you would, that Christ was going to, be, going to be coming and what he was going to be like. Last week, as we considered the, um, the shadow of Christ, we looked at creation itself, Genesis chapter 1. And we looked at, and as we're going to do each of these 22 weeks, we're going to look at the practical application, then we're going to look at a prophetical application. So we looked at creation practically, first of all, and looked at what God had declared about creation and how that he had created the, the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, and on the seventh day he, he rested. And then we looked at the prophetical side of it and saw, first of all, that Jesus Christ is declared in the Word of God to be the Lord, or Yahweh, of the Sabbath. Thank you. To be Yahweh of the Sabbath. And that was important when Jesus said that the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath because, as we saw in Genesis chapter 2, that Yahweh himself declared that he was the one who was the God of the Sabbath, that he was over the Sabbath. And then in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 as well, that God, Yahweh, declares that he is, the Sabbath was for him, that it's for his purpose, that he's the one who created it. And so when Jesus said that the Son of Man was also the Lord of the Sabbath, what he was saying was that he's God. The Jews understood it, they got it. And what's even more than important about it is that as the Lord of the Sabbath, he is also then the Lord of creation. And the, perpo- the reason for that all to be in capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is because in your English translations, when God's name is being used, that's how it's, that's how it's brought out. That's, so when, it's, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it really refers to the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name of God. That is his name. It means I am that I am. He is the one who exists and ever has been. And so Yahweh, in God's word, claims to be the one who has established the six 24-hour days and the seventh day of rest. He's also the one who claims to be the creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus has that claim to him as well. And so, therefore, Jesus must be God. I mean, this is a, a no-brainer. And not just a God, like uh, Ben, you're getting to get, have the opportunity to talk to the Jehovah Witnesses about. They want to claim that Jesus is just a God, but not the God. And the word of God is so against that. As well. Today, we want to continue on in that creation account, if you would, looking at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, 
we read what is, we refer to theologically as the fall of man. The fall of man. Um, but what we really see in, in all that is that man's what? Man's sin. Okay? And, and the origin of sin and where sin comes from. And this is a big deal to us because there are a lot of effects. Again, from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, there are so many things in life and so many things throughout Scripture that are dependent upon the foundation of those things. And so, Genesis chapter 3, where death comes upon man and sin enters into the world, is a direct, direct conflict, as we talked last week, against evolution. Evolution would have you believe that man has, has come as a result of other things coming into the world and dying. You know? But the fact is, we know from God's word, that death is a result of sin, and sin was a decision based by man. And so, therefore... Evolution and creation cannot go hand in hand. So for those, some of you may know about or believe in theistic evolution, and that is that you believe that while God just used evolutionary processes to accomplish creation, that again cannot be true biblically. If it was true biblically, then you have no confidence of your salvation. Because death did not come because of sin. And if Jesus' whole purpose in coming into the earth was to pay the penalty of sin, then his whole coming is what? Based upon a false foundation. And so you're still in your sin. And you're still separated from God. So, the things that we're talking about are very key, even in their their practical sense. So, first thing we want to look at in this passage is the cause of sin. The cause of sin. Well, the cause of sin actually goes all the way back into chapter 2. Okay? And so you can look at that as I, as I paraphrase chapter 2 coming through there. But in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, is where God says that the seventh day is the day of rest. But then he goes into day 6 a little bit more and kind of opens up day 6. And he talks about the creation of man. And he says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the ruach, the breath of life. Okay? And the word ruach in the, in the Hebrew is the word for spirit. And so I believe that's when God made man in his image as a spirit being, when he, when he breathed into him, just like Jesus, when he, he came back into the upper room, and it says that he breathed on his disciples and told them to do what? Receive the Holy Spirit. And so it's the same picture. I think that God, and that God that I'm referring to in Genesis chapter 2 is who? Jesus, okay? Pretty consistent here, right? Breathed then into them and gave them the, the breath of life, the spirit of life, making them in his image. And it's like giving them life. Okay? And we're told in John chapter 1 that in Christ is life. And so that all men have that life that comes from Jesus Christ. And so he makes man, he breathes into him the spirit of life, and then he does something special with man. He places them in a garden. And he gives man a, a task, a job. He tells him to what? To work. To tend it. To work. He tells him to work. And so... Whether you like it or not, God designed you to be a productive person, to be a creature that will work. Okay? I know we don't like that term, but that's what God designed us to be. God designed us to redeem the time, the days are evil, and to work. Okay? And so he places in the garden, and he says to, says to man at that time <clears throat> that you can eat of any tree of the garden you want to, except for this one special tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now that's important because that was a command specifically given by God 
to man. Now, we don't know if it was the first command given by God, but it's the first what? Recorded command. It was the first recorded conversation. Other than putting him in the garden, that wasn't recorded as a conversation. That's recorded as an act. But the first command that's recorded is, you can, you can eat from any tree you want to, except for this one tree. Now, I, I want you to think about it, because it's, it's kind of a little aside here, but it's a perfect illustration of God's commands. Was God very limiting in that command? Not at all. What did God tell him in the course of the command? You can eat anything you want, except this one little thing. This one tree. There could have been thousands of trees in that garden. And you could eat it for anything you want. You could have the apricots, you could have the apples, you could have the oranges, you could have the pomegranates, you could have this, you could have that, you could have the limes, you could have the lemons. I mean, we don't know what all the fruit was in there. It could have been bananas. I mean, you could eat all this stuff. I'm sure there weren't green beans. And, but you could eat of all these things. In fact, I think that was probably a green bean tree. And when God cursed it, he probably made it into a bush and everything as well. But anyways, that he said, you can eat all that stuff, anything you want. I mean, it could have been nuts, you know, nut trees. You just can't eat of that tree. But you know what? Isn't it amazing how we're no different than our forefather? The minute we're told you can't is the minute that we what? We want to know it. <laughs> and Paul refers to that in the book of Romans when he says that the law brought sin. Because when the law came and told me I can't, then I decided I wanted to. Do you get it? And so, so the cause of sin, first is God's declaration. God's declaration. Now you say, wait, what do you mean? God caused sin? No, I'm not saying that. But the minute God made the declaration, it set the what? It set the standard. It, it set the line in the sand. God said, don't cross this line. And when God declares what is right, that establishes then what is sin. Because if you don't do what is right according to the standards of God, it is sin. Why do we call murder murder? Why, do we, why is murder sin? Why aren't we going about um, killing people thinking we're doing good? Because God said, thou shalt not murder. Why is it wrong? for people to have relationships outside of the marriage. Because God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's amazing how the world is okay with keeping the one, but struggles with keeping the other. But the fact is, according to God's absolute standards, both are still what? Sin. Regardless of what the world refers to it as. Does that make sense? Okay. So, God's declaration, God, God declared that you can eat of any tree you want, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, keep that in your brain. I don't want to, to jump ahead there. But clearly, there's, there's more that goes on there. But secondly, then, there was Satan's deception. And that's where we come into chapter 3 with, okay? Because after God puts man in the garden, and he gives man the command, okay? Then God says, it's not good for man to be alone, and so I'm going to make him a, a helper that's comparable to him. And so he shows him all the other animals, and there's not a helper found for him. And so God puts man into a deep sleep. He takes part of his side, his rib, and from it he forms and fashions a woman. And then he, he brings the woman to the man. It's a special gift. It's a special moment. God, the Father, is bringing a special gift to his creation, to Adam, in its woman. 
And Adam's excited, and he says, you know, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and I'm going to call her Eve, you know, and, and, and I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of man. And, uh, and then we're told that for this reason, the two shall leave, or the husband shall leave his father, shall be joined to his wife, the two shall be one flesh, right? And then we're told they were both naked and they were, they were not ashamed. Okay, now, <clears throat> did they know where they were naked? Yes. Well, I know it doesn't say, because this is important when we come to it. I believe they knew they were naked. But it didn't, but it didn't, well, but it didn't what? It didn't matter to them. Okay? And this is important when you come to, to understanding these things. That's exactly right. Okay? Because the deception then comes. Right? Because then we come into chapter 3 and we see how the serpent was more crafty than all the other parts of God's creation. And he comes to Eve. Okay? Now this is, Eve was made before during or after the command of God? After. Okay? This is important. And so, Satan doesn't, in the guise of serpent, doesn't come to Adam. He comes to Eve. And he says to Eve, has God really said? Boil that down. What is the attack of Satan? It's questioning the validity of of the word of God. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? And she said what? Well, no, no. God didn't say that. God said we can eat of any tree except for this one tree. You can't eat of it, nor should you touch it. For the day that you do that, you're going to surely die. Did God say that? No. God said you can't eat of that tree. But God didn't say what? You can't touch it. We need to be careful about adding to the Word of God. That's what the Pharisees always got in trouble with from Jesus. They added to the Word. Satan likes to do that, though. Satan likes to get us to get confused in what, he really, what God really said and to be twisted up in it. Because when it, we see that, well, it really didn't say that, then he has us. And so Satan comes then, he says, wow, <laughs> now he's attacking not just the word of God, he's going to attack the character of God. And he says, wow, God only knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to become like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants it all for himself. Now, can I just do an aside for just a moment here? Just the, the really stupidity of the attack. Okay? I mean, and, and, I, and I say this for a reason, because so many times when Satan comes to us in the same cloak, the attack is really stupid. And we really show our foolishness, like Eve, when we give in to it. Who created the tree? And who put it in the garden? If God was really worrying about protecting his knowledge of good and evil, what wouldn't he have done? A, made the tree, and secondly, put it in a place where they can eat it. Have you ever thought about that before? Maybe I'm just kind of weird sometimes. But anyways, I just think, boy, what a dumb deception. What a dumb argument. God, didn't, God really doesn't want you to eat it because he knows that when you eat it, you're going to be really like him. Then why would he put it there? This doesn't make sense. 
Now, this is important, though. Is what Satan said right there true? Not that God doesn't want you to be like him, but that when you eat it, you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Is that true? Yes, it is true. It is true. In fact, twice we're told in this chapter that it's true. In fact, when God kicks man out of the garden, he says, because man has become like us, knowing the difference between good and evil. Satan never gives you the full picture. One of the greatest statements I ever heard regarding temptations and, and stuff like that was made by what I believe was, was an unbeliever. It was an unbeliever. It was down in the VA, and um, I had gone to a graduation ceremony for someone who was in their um, uh, substance abuse program. And this unbeliever, unregenerate guy stood up who was in charge of the program and told the guys, he said, listen, when you leave here, you feel pretty strong now, but when you leave here, temptations are going to come. He says, when they come, play the video all the way out. Because your mind is going to want to deceive you, and you're going to play the video of all the fun you had when you were doing it. He says, but remember to let the video play all the way out. Because what Satan said that wasn't true was when he said, you shall not surely die. Do you get it? Satan did speak truth. The problem is, it wasn't all truth. How much sin, or how much lie, how much falseness does it take to make a truth not true? Just one little bit. You know what, guys? How many of you guys like fishing at all? Okay. How big is a lure sometimes? Sometimes those lures can get really big. Yeah, some of those lures are really, really big. Is it the lure that catches the fish? You're right. The lure grabs its attention of the fish. What catches the fish? It's that little bitty, now wait a second, not even a hook now. It's the little bitty barb that's on the end of the hook that keeps that fish there. You ever think about that? I mean, you think about this. Fancy, I mean, and you can have lots of these hooks, treble things on, you know, so you've got the trebles that have three, and then on some of them, they have three sets of hooks going out. So you may have nine barbs out there, but one of those sixteenth of an inch, maybe thirty-second of an inch, depending on the size, barbs are going to be what's going to hold on that fish. When I'm out hunting, my intent is to bring down a deer. If I'm up north, it's much more impressive than it is when I'm hunting that same kind of deer in Lincolnton. But anyways, but I'm going to bring it down with just a little bitty piece of metal. In fact, it's not even the piece of metal because that's going to be ejected right by my gun. What am I really going to be bringing that deer down with? A, a little bitty piece of lead or metal or a ball of something. Did you ever think about that? 
the truth doesn't, or the, the, the lie doesn't have to be huge. In fact, a lot of times it's the, the coding of truth that gets your attention and gets you to, to kind of follow. It's the little bitty barb that's going to kill you. It's the little bitty ball that'll blow you away. And so we have Satan's deception, but man's decision. And so Eve, <clears throat> her first mistake was what? She listened. She listened to the voice of Satan. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. There's a process of sin. The first step in it is to listen. And Eve listened to the voice of Satan through a snake. Now, I don't know why that didn't, or a serpent anyway. We, we think snake, but we're told that as a result, the curse that was on the serpent was that he had a gravel on his belly. So potentially he might have had what? Little bit legs or something at that time. So we don't know really what that, that item was. Um, but we always picture the snake um, from that. And so um, she listened to this creature speak. What's the next thing she did? Good, okay, she forgot what God told her. Okay, that, that's good. Cause I, I put that all together, but you're exactly right. She listened to Satan and not to God. Okay, and then she looked. She adverted her attention and looked at what Satan wanted her to look at. She looked at the fruit. Then she lusted after the fruit, yes? She, she desired it. She looked at it. She saw that it was what? Pleasing to the eye and good to, potentially good to eat. It's good. Okay, that's exactly right. Because she started to what? To think about the, what he had said about becoming good and evil. So she desired, she lusted after it, and then she what? She reached out and took it. Didn't just touch it. She took it. Sin is the same way for every single one of us. We get distracted to look at it. You know, Satan comes in in some way, whether it's a billboard riding down the road, whether it's somebody you're talking to on the phone, whether it's through the newspaper, whether it's whatever. Okay? I mean, I, I think it's amazing sometimes when I can be reading God's word and I can be drawn away of my own lusts. You know, I can, I can you know, just, I think, how can this be? I'm, I'm in God's word and I'm either angry or I'm lustful or whatever it is. It's like, this is just nuts. Anyways, and so, so that happens, but now I have a decision to make when that comes, right? Am I going to what? Enact on it. And she what? She enacted on it. She, she took the fruit, and then she did what? Instead of saying, no, this is sin, and, and threw it down and said, I shouldn't do that. She ate it. And what was the last step in the progression of sin? 
She passed it on to somebody else. She got her husband involved in it. And so man, we're, said, we're told that he was there with her. Now, you know, it's hard to, to really be 100% firm on this, but it appears that Adam and Eve were near each other. When Satan was doing his number on Adam's wife. Guys, sin is passed down not through the woman, but through the man. Do you know why? Because we were told not to eat from the tree, and we were held accountable by the authority of God for that. And so man stood there at his wife's side while she was deceived, and he uttered not a word. But as is the struggle for us today, men, when she, when she sinned, now he had a decision to make. Because now his wife is saying, Honey, I ate it, and it was good. Here, you have some too. And man said what? Now, I know he doesn't say this here, but let's embellish this a little bit. Man said what? No, wait, God said I'm not supposed to eat from that. This is what God's word says. And she says, but honey, experience tells me that this was really good. Oh, but I shouldn't. Honey, do you love me or not? Uh, you guys, you know, you, you're like, no, no, no. But you know, I mean, you've been married long enough. You, whether the wife says, honey, do you truly love me or not? Okay, now I, I, I mean, she may not say it that way, but I don't know about you guys, but I, you know the pressure there is to please your wife. What's the old Southern statement? When mama's happy, everybody's happy. When mama's not happy, nobody happy. Okay? And so, I don't think Adam was any different. Okay? I mean, this was a special gift to him from God. And she's saying what? Eat it. And now he has to make a decision. Is he going to heed God or heed his wife? We're told by Paul to Timothy that Eve was deceived. What was Adam's problem? Rebellion. He made a decision. The woman made a decision, but she felt a deception. The man didn't follow the deception, he felt a rebellion. Man made a decision to rebel against the command of God. What about you? You know what's going on in your life today. John breaks down sin into three categories. You've got the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You've got the, the covetousness stuff, the, the I want us. My neighbor has it and I want it too. And that's where you're laying up treasures on earth rather than treasures in, in heaven. You want a little bit more of the world. And that gets in the way of you wanting more of God. The lust of the flesh. It may be pornography. It may be obesity. It may be drinking. It may be smoking. It's, it's those things that are affected in your body. And you've decided that you want it even though God said it's not good for you. That, like he said, and we'll see this in a moment, that the wages of sin is what? Death. And you don't care. The pride of life. 
humble yourself in the eyes of in the sight of God, and He will what? He will lift you up. But I want to be well known. I want to be the the Vikahuna. In each one of those ways, I'm sure Satan is there. Whispering to you, telling you how lovely the fruit really is. And that you are special because you won't die like everybody else dies. You're that one in a million, one quadrillion, who doesn't get the effects. But you know what? He's a liar. So what's the consequence of sin? It's death. Death, 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 death. God said the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now people look at it and go, wait a second, Adam and Eve didn't die. They were kicked out of the garden. They continued to live for another 900-something years. They didn't die. God's word was not true. Satan's word was true because Satan said what? You won't die. You're just going to know. God just doesn't want you to know. And what happened? They knew. They knew good and evil, but they didn't die. So therefore, Satan's word was true, and God's word wasn't true. Hmm. Let's look at that. What is death? In its root, death means separation. It's a separation that occurs. And we're told, clearly, if we look at the passage there, that first of all, there was social death. Now, last week I shared this, and so just as a real quick, man is made up of a body, soul, and a spirit. We have a body which relates to the earth. We have a soul which relates to, the, to one another on a horizontal plane. And we have a spirit which relates to God in a vertical plane. Okay? The very first thing that happens when, <clears throat> when Eve eats of the, the, the fruit, she gives it to her husband Adam and he eats of it, what's the very next thing that we see happen? exactly right. Their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they made themselves coverings. They covered themselves from who? From themselves. There was a social death that occurred. A death of their soul. In other words, it was death anyway. All three, it, it all died. But it was revealed first in the very first relationship that was there, that they were encountering, and that was the relationship with one another. They were naked before, and it didn't bother them. But now they were naked, and they knew it from the guise of good and evil. And from their wicked hearts now, which once were pure, but now are evil, they look at the nakedness in the eyes of what? evil. And they were what? Ashamed. They were ashamed. Why were they ashamed? Were they ashamed because they were naked? They weren't ashamed because they were naked. They're ashamed because they knew. They're ashamed because of the results that, because of knowing the nakedness caused them. Shame is a result of guilt. They understood their guilt. They were guilty before God and before each other. And there was a separation that occurred in their relationship. That's why Paul says, be angry and what? Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. 
there are going to be times, socially speaking, soulfully speaking, where there are breakdowns in your relationship with other people because of sin. What we have to admit is what? That we're sinners and we're willing to go for the cure and to get those things squared away. The second thing we see, or I'm sorry, we're going to come back to the second one in just a moment, but as well as physical, the physical death. That's the one that everybody battles about. Well, it didn't really happen. Did it happen? It did happen. Look at the curses that God rains down upon serpent and then Eve and then finally to man. What does he say to man? You were made out of dust, and to dust you are going to return. You know, we're going to talk about this in a moment with Cure briefly. One of the greatest acts of grace recorded in the Word of God comes at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, when God kicks man out of the garden. You say, is that grace? That's grace. Because he kicks us out so that we can no longer eat of the tree of, of life, which we could have eaten, and we'll talk about that in a moment. We could have eaten of that tree. But God kicks them out so that we don't eat of the tree, so we don't live eternally in the state of corruption, sin, rebellion. Because kicking us out of the garden, then, we will eventually, finally, die. And so we know, today, there are two things assured in life. Good? Death and taxes. Death and taxes. We all know it. The minute you're born, you are on a process of leading to death. Nobody will escape it. The only way you're going to escape death is if Jesus comes in your lifetime. Now, I think he's coming in my lifetime. I believe that. And so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll skip out on that, 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 that portal, that, that tunnel. But the reality is that apart from that, everybody, everybody will die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for man wants to die, but after that, the what? The judgment. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming in your life. I don't know whether you're going to live for another 20 years or you're going to live for another 20 minutes or for another 20 seconds. You may be living for another 40 years, 50 years. But this one thing I can't tell you, one day you're going to die. And as I talked about that, that, other, that man earlier that I asked you to pray for, he's going to die. And as I told my grandma, my grandma got saved two weeks before she died. She was in her 70s. And I remember Marsha and I having opportunities to talk to her, witness to her many times. And the one time she called God every kind of name in the book that you can think of. I mean, it was just, it was there. And I said, Grandma, you know what? Honestly, from your perspective, that may all be all be very true. You want to call him a, a, a Hitler? You know, that's up to you. But it, regardless of whether he's a Hitler or he's a loving God like I, I know him as, it doesn't really matter. Here's the fact. One day you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God. And I don't really care what you think about him. It's not going to change the fact that you're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account to him. That makes sense to me then to humble myself before the judge and to discover who he really is. And when you do that, you'll find out that he's not the Hitler you think he is. That he's the loving God that I know him as. 
But that's part of the lie of Satan, isn't it? To attack the character of God, just as he did with Eve. But every single one of us have all this in common. We're all going to die. But even greater, then, is that spiritual death. Spiritual death. Because what we see is not only did they make themselves covers and hide themselves from each other, but now the next thing we hear is that God came in the coldness of the day to have fellowship with man. And man hid himself. Such that when God came in the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? Did you make your do what I told you not to do? Did you eat of that tree that I told you not to eat from? And man said, I confess my sin before you, God. You know all things. And, and what I did is a stench in, in, into the nostrils. Is that what he said? No, it's not what he said at all. He, he, he showed us more of his social death, didn't he? He said, it's what? It's the woman you made me. God, it's your fault. If you wouldn't have made her, I wouldn't have done this. I think you need to take it out on her. Get rid of the model. Get me another one. Maybe things will be good. How many times do you hear that from your kids? What are you doing? Well, so-and-so was. I didn't ask what so-and-so was doing. I asked what you're doing. But so-and-so was. And we laugh about it in our kids. We laugh about it with Eve. But how many times did God come to you and you say, but so-and-so did. It's okay to be angry. You're allowed to be angry. You're just not allowed to what? Sin in your anger. But if you only knew, God, what that person did. If you only knew, God, what that person did. If you were in the neighborhood a little bit more often, God, you'd see what this person was like. I mean, isn't it silly? I mean, remember how I was talking about how the stupidity that we are sometimes, like Eve? What a stupid comment. Now, I mean, I know you wouldn't say that. But how many times do we think that? That God really doesn't know what the affairs are in my life. And yet he says, there is no temptation that's overtaken you, but such is what? Common to man. And God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be tempted, tried, put into a troublesome situation beyond what you're able to bear. But will, with that troublesome situation, also give you a jumping point, a way to escape. In other words, God says, you can handle this. I allowed it in your life. I could have prevented it, but I allowed it. So, Because I know that you can handle this. But even if you don't think you can handle it, guess what? Jump. I'm giving you the hyperspace button. All you got to do is hit hyperspace, and your little aircraft will be taken out of the middle of these asteroids and be placed someplace else on the screen. You can do it. Spiritually speaking, we're dead. We're separated from God. What's the cure? Well, cure is very clearly is the grace of God. God has bestowed the cure by grace. What's the ultimate cure? It's receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That's the cure. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself from the death that's coming. But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by God's grace that he did it. He didn't have to do that. We made the decision. We blew it. Did you ever think about that when your mom and dad allowed you to continue to have food? 
after you dissed them, after you disrespected them, after you disobeyed them. That's an act of their grace. It may be responsibility at some point, but it's still grace. They don't need to do that. We say, oh, they had to do it. No, they don't have to do it. God, by His grace, and you can read the passages that are there on your sermon note sheet from Romans chapter 3. It's so wonderful. Talking about the grace of God that comes to us and how the point unto man wants to die and after that the judgment um, from Hebrews. We're bringing it into Romans 3 where it says that that death came through one man and, and then passed upon us all. But God, by His grace, gives us the free gift and that we have to receive it by, by faith. You have to believe it. You have to trust what God has done by faith. It's just like a child. Now, prophetically, we're told two things from this passage. First of all, that Jesus would be born of a woman. The humanity of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, we say, we, we read, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the very form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. He was in the very nature, the very morphe God. It's who he was. But he set it aside that he could take on the likeness of a, a man. And so in Galatians chapter 4, we read that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born under a to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. The humanity of Jesus Christ. He was God, as we saw last week, but he was God taking on the carcass, the likeness of a man. And so in the book of Colossians we read that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. It's just mind boggling to me. Secondly, though, he would be engaged, engaged in a battle. We're told in part, in part of the curse to, to the woman that there would be a battle between her seed and, and Satan's seed, between the serpent's seed. Okay? And that the, the serpent's seed, first of all, would bruise the heel of the, of the woman's seed. And so there we see the suffering Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read that he was bruised for our transgressions. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, suffered, was bruised, was, was uh, smitten, he was struck for me and for you. It wasn't because he was a sinner. We're told that he who knew no sin became sin for us. There was no reason for him to have died. He took the bruising, if you would, that I deserve. That I might have the righteousness of God. But interestingly enough, we're told as well that that suffering would be limited because Christ himself would strike the head, bruise the head, of the serpent. He would crush the head. We have a conquering Messiah. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor famines, nor earthquake, nor peril can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in Him who loved us. So death, where is thy sting? So grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is what? Sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't serve a crucified Savior. You serve a risen, conquering Savior who is and was and ever shall be God. We're going to sing the song in just a moment. It's a very profound song. Meekness and majesty. Manhood and deity. In perfect harmony. The man who was God. It's a mind-boggling thing. But all the way from the beginning of the book of Genesis, we're declared, we're told, who Jesus Christ is and who he should be. We're then told, all have sinned, but God has provided the antidote. And so the question, the most important question that I can ask you is, have you by faith accepted that? Have you accepted the gift of life that Christ has purchased for you? See, just as in the garden there were multiple trees, we're told specifically back in the beginning of chapter 2 there that God put two special trees in the garden. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I like to call that one the tree of death. Because the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God placed in the garden life and death. And turned around and told Adam, don't take from death. What did he really say? You can what? You can choose life. But I don't want you to choose death. You know what's interesting? You can look at Deuteronomy 30 and and, and, and Jeremiah later and all these other passages. But it's the same choice that God has placed before us the rest of the way through Scripture. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. It's the same question, challenge that I put before you right now. If you have never accepted that, today is the day of your salvation. Choose life that you may live. Are you alert to the deceptive workings of Satan in your life? What are you doing to strengthen yourself against the wiles of the devil? We're told to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are you doing? Are you putting on the armor of God? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you spending time in prayer? It's kind of like what you said earlier, Don, about, you know, are you spending time in God's Word this morning? And we, we, we kind of chuckle sometimes. We think, oh, come on, what's the correlation there? You don't understand the correlation sometimes because of the spiritual war that you're in. And we discount the power of God in our life. We discount the power of His Word in our life. We discount the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we just say, ah, you know, that's mystic stuff, really? Then talk to God about that. Because God talks about it. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. The consideration of the condescension of Christ into humanity, his willingness to suffer for us and his ultimate conquering victory ought to give us great impetus to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Lots of big words. What does it mean? Listen, when I think about the fact that God came to the earth to die for me, 
If there isn't nothing else that's going to cause me to worship and glorify him, I don't know what there is. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me to think of the eternal God encasing himself as a, as a man to die for me. What an awesome God we serve. Let's take that, um, that song, Meekness and Majesty.